Hello, this is Pastor Mo, Senior Pastor at First Baptist Church of Broussard. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to these messages. My hope is that this sermon will be a benefit to your spiritual growth and that you will prayerfully take to heart the contents of this week's message. I also encourage you to pull up the accompanying sermon notes and follow along as you listen. If you have any questions or would like to follow up after the sermon, feel free to contact me or our staff here at First Baptist Broussard. May God bless you as we begin this week's sermon. Well, our 2019 theme for the whole year is Walking with Jesus. If you're new here today, we are taking this theme throughout the year. We'll be uh, trying to take a personal uh, encounter uh, with the Gospel of John. There are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John is probably the last one to be written of the Gospels. And uh, it's an excellent resource for us to see who, the, who Jesus is, what he said, and what he expects in our life. John, who wrote this, we believe, is the Apostle John, who was the brother of James, uh, one of the youngest of the apostles, and he lived to the latest date. He was the oldest and, in a sense, the last of the Mohicans of, the, uh, of, the, of the, those who seen Jesus. And so he is sitting down later in his life uh, and reflecting and writing down under the Holy Spirit's guidance things that we need to know. Now, this is about 40, 50, maybe 60 years after Jesus. So it had, he had plenty of time to, to meditate and mull over and to process all the things that Jesus did and said, and then how the early church settled. So what we find in John is really a, a first century uh, theology of what the church really believes, what Christianity should believe. And it gives us a good solid foundation upon which uh, to build that. Now the general three theme, just to remind you, is really two words, believe and receive. We need to believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, the Messiah, and receive Him into our life and thus receive not only abundant life, but eternal life. And just kind of re remind you of the, some key themes. The first one is really the main one. Who is Jesus? That's what we really want to find out. I don't know if any of you, some of you older folks uh, that, that are here may remember a television show in the 60s called To Tell the Truth. Remember that one? had three chairs up here, and each one would say, well, let's say John Jones was the guy today, and say, my name is John Jones. And then the next one says, no, my name is John Jones. No, my name is John Jones. And so the, the people would ask questions trying to figure out who the real John Jones is. Will you please stand up? Well, the Gospel of John helps us to determine who the real Jesus is. So imagine three chairs up here with three people who claim to be Jesus. The first Jesus... Man, he looks so much like all the pictures and all the different icons and things through the centuries. Very meek and mild and gentle. Then the next one, man, he's a fiery revolutionary saying, Repent, you brood of vipers and pulling out whips and whipping people. Man, is that the real Jesus? And then the third Jesus. Well, which one of these is the real Jesus? Well, the real Jesus is the one that John writes about. We can count on what he says to give us the solid foundation of who Jesus is, what he said, what he did, and then how we should respond to that. Now, other themes are signs and wonders of miracles and things. And John talks about being a witness, an eyewitness, and giving evidence about Jesus. 
He talks about Jesus as the life, the light of the world, that he is the source of love. And today's focus is on this last one, grace and truth. And, of course, the goal, as I've mentioned before, is to know truth, accept truth, and live the truth. And Jesus is that truth. Well, today we're going through, remember, just verse by verse or section by section anyway. Today it's John 1, 14 through 18. So if you want to take your Bibles and turn there uh, or open your bulletin, Sunday bulletin has it in there, or your app, it has it on there as well. Uh, But rather than read this right now, I want to let you experience it as we've had a couple of times before. We've got the video, the movie, the Gospel of John. Let's watch this little clip here. So if you want to cut these lights... And then let's watch this and we'll come back. And for grace and truth lived among us. We saw his glory, the glory which he received as the Father's only Son. John spoke about him. passage here in John 1, uh, 14 through 18. Let's just review it right, right quick and kind of make note of the underlying passages about the grace and truth. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we observed his glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified, and this is John the Apostle, John uh, the Baptist, testified concerning him and exclaimed, this was the one of whom I said, the one coming after me ranks ahead of me. Because he existed before me. Indeed, we have all received grace upon grace from his fullness. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The one and only Son who is himself God and is at the Father's side, he has revealed him. Well, this whole passage is really just reinforcing John's main theme. Who is Jesus? And establishing that fact, because it's imperative to understand uh, who is Jesus if we're going to know who is God, because Jesus is the perfect uh, representative of that. So let's take, we're really just going to focus on two verses here today, 14 and 16, but the package kind of goes together. Let's look at the first verse. Would you read this passage with me? The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory. The glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So, in this, John is laying down an essential doctrine of a standard of belief for Christians. This is the official stance of the early church. What Paul says, 
I mean, what John says here, the apostle. John, being 80, 90 years old at this time, he was, as I mentioned, the last of the, uh, those who really knew Jesus in person. He was revered and honored, and what he said, it outlasted what E.F. Hutton ever said. He, what he said, it, it was, that, was, that was it. He hadn't found the process. So what we find here is this is the teaching of the early church which is what the apostles were handed down and what understood. And so what we find here, especially in this passage, is what John says we need to know about Jesus and why he came. Who was he and why he came? Well, number one, he became, he became a man to show us what God is like. People of every culture and race, even those who don't believe in God and Jesus, have some idea of a transcendent spirit or power or something out there. It's because we were all created in the image of God. We, as I mentioned last week, the little birthmark that we have, the little birthmark kind of keeps, it's kind of resounding and seeking out God. And so people have done that, but unfortunately, they have not under, they don't have the truth and they don't understand that. People are seeking to know who God is. Well, Jesus became a man to clarify that. Listen to what he says here. Just uh, uh, jump ahead 13 chapters into John. John chapter 14. Jesus is sitting down with his disciples. And they're talking and he's discussing and trying to help clarify them. The disciples were a little bit hard-headed. They, did, they, you know, they, they just didn't quite catch on as quick as you, know, you may would think. But we can't blame them because... You know, we weren't in their shoes. But listen to what Jesus had to say. Jesus said, if you know me, you will also know my father. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Lord, said Philip, one of the apostles, show us the father and that's enough for us. Now this verse, this next verse, it, it's kind of secretive, but it's almost as if Jesus is saying, my goodness, Philip, what is your problem? Have I not been among you all this time without you knowing me? The one who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father's in me? The words I speak to you, I do not speak on my own. The Father who lives in me does his work. Believe that I am in the Father and the Father's in me. Jesus is, it almost seems a little flustered. It says, man, you want to know about who God is. Here I am. It's all you need. And this is, this is the early teaching of the church. This is the establishment. Now, one of the most ridiculous things that I've ever heard come out of the mouth of someone who's supposed to be intellectual and academic, and I hear it often, is, well, Jesus never self-professed that he was the Son of God. It was his apostles who came after him who added all this stuff in there just to kind of make it look better. Now, that has got to be the most ridiculous thing somebody could say. John here is writing. And we have manuscripts that go back to with almost within 100 years of this writing. People who were alive at the time of John, well, their grandparents knew the story and they had passed it on. So if it wasn't true then it would be very evident. They would say, oh, this is not true. This is not what the apostles are. You know, I remember Grandpa saying this, and Grandma said that. 
but it's, it's consistent. Jesus, without a shadow of a doubt, proclaimed and taught that he was God and that he came to the flesh. And that was the official doctrine of the early church. It wasn't something that was added on, you know, 102 or 300 years later or whatever. It was from the very beginning, and we find that here. Now, John is writing, you know, maybe 80 to 90 A.D. or so. But let's go back even further, closer, maybe 15 to 20 years after Jesus. And we find in the book of Colossians, Paul writes early. His writings are some of the earliest writings. Some people think within 15 years he was writing some of this stuff. This was his statement. For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ. So we have John saying this is the statement. But Paul is writing it earlier. It's already been taught. It's already been established. Now that's the church he wrote at Colossae. Well, he wrote to a specific pastor by the name of Timothy with the intent that this is what Timothy needs to be teaching. You see, one of the major responsibilities that a a generation has is to make sure that they pass on the truth to the next generation. Paul is teaching Timothy, the younger generation, this is what has been passed down. You need to hold on to this. This is truth. This is not just made up, not just tradition. This is what was taught from the mouth of Jesus, believed by the apostles, and to talk. And so he wrote this. And most certainly, without a shadow of doubt, the mystery of godliness is great. Christ was manifested in the flesh, vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. So here we find John states it. Paul has previously stated, and now Timothy is teaching and preaching that to his church and to the next generation. Now we have another author. Now we don't know exactly who wrote the book of Hebrews other than, you know, the Holy Spirit inspired it. But Hebrews says this. Long ago, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times and in different ways. In these days, he has spoken to us by his son. God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. The Son is the radiance of God's glory. Listen to this. And the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So here we find Hebrews writing and clarifying this is, this is the truth. This is the real Jesus. He is God in flesh. He has come to make known who God is so that we can understand. Because remember, if you think of God in his pure core, he is holy and we cannot be near that holiness because he's so pure and we're not. Well, through Jesus, we have an opportunity through Jesus to connect with God and have that righteousness and development of us. Okay, so secondly, Jesus became a man that he might understand our problems and sympathize with our sorrows. Now, probably you've had at least one problem in your life. Maybe a few sorrows. If not, I'd like to talk with you. Okay. <laughs> we all have problems. We've all had sorrows. Some of you are going through a 
great problems and sorrows right now. I don't want to mess up your day, but every single one of us is going to face sorrows and problems in the future. It's just going to be the way it is. Now, I'm not making this stuff up. In the book of John, in chapter 16, it records Jesus' exact words. It says, in this world, you will have tribulation. But I have overcome the world, so be of good cheer. So in Jesus, in, in Jesus, we have this understanding. He understands everything about it. Jesus understood poverty. Scripture says that he didn't have a, a foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his, his head. Never know if Jesus ever holding a home and really having any money. Frustration. And he was frustrated with his disciples, just like one ago when we talked about with Philip. And then the other instances, some of these, the way some of these disciples and others, and then the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, how they frustrated. Weariness. Often it says Jesus was so tired that he fell asleep in a boat or on a mountainside. He was weary. He experienced that. Disappointment. Rejection. Jesus knows disappointment. He knows rejection. Sorrow. The sorrow as he looked over when he came in on Palm Sunday on the, on the donkey, if you remember. He looked over Jerusalem and he began to weep saying, oh, Jerusalem, if you would just believe. I mean, Jesus had been teaching him and showing him the way, but they were blinded. They didn't have the truth. And they had not received and understood the grace of God. He was sorrowful over that. Sorrow and ridicule was magnified in the crucifixion and all that he went through. Loneliness. Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, right before he was his trial? He went, his disciples were with him, but and they calmed down, fell asleep, and left him to pray and to deal with what was going to happen. He was lonely. On the cross, you remember one of the seven sayings of Jesus? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus knows all about our sorrows. Like the old hymn says, there's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. No, not one. Whatever troubles, sorrows, problems that you're dealing with now or will in the future, Jesus has experienced that. He has gained victory over it, and he's offering victory to you if you'll just walk in the light of his love and truth. All right, let's look at number three. Jesus became a man so that he could be tempted and not fail. Now, you may be thinking, well, why? What is that important? Well, it's very important. Mark 1, another one of the Gospels, says that Jesus was in the desert 40 days tempted by Satan. And then the Hebrews author write, For since Christ himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Jesus understood temptation. Look what it says in Hebrews 4, a little bit later on in the book. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast to the confession. That means confession, I believe, what we stand upon. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tested and tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. 
Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us at the proper time. So we see here the truth that Jesus is the Son of God. He's experienced every sorrow and problem we've ever had. He's also been tempted by everything. Now, we have to be honest. Jesus was never tempted to view pornography on a computer screen. He just never was because it didn't exist. That's not what this verse is saying. It says that every category and type of temptation that you will ever face, Jesus has already faced it. He overcame it, and he's promised to give you victory, whatever your temptation is. And some of us have some pretty severe temptations, and it's almost crippling. But if we will just surrender and accept God's love through Jesus Christ and begin to walk in the light, read his word, obey him, we'll find ourselves gaining victory time and time again over those temptations, which will come. We're going to all be tempted in the future. Great. If you're not prepared, you're going to fall. You're going to stray into the darkness, stumble around and come back. But why waste that time? Stay in the light. Let's look at the fourth and final point. The most important and beautiful of all. Jesus became a man so he could die for us and bring salvation. Well, he helps us with sorrows, problems. He helps us with temptations. But see, the, the most important thing of all is that Jesus can help us deal with our sin problem so that we can be forgiven. Jesus came to save. That was his main purpose was coming to bring salvation. You see, Jesus is just the expression of the gospel story. The gospel began in the Garden of Eden when God created Adam and Eve, and then later on when he clothed them, and, and through Abraham and Moses and David and Ezra up to the time of Jesus. Jesus, the gospel message didn't begin with Jesus. He is just the fulfillment of the story, the good news of salvation was made clear in Jesus. And John 3, 16 and 17, I even wore my John 3, 16 tie today to commemorate this. Let's read this verse together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. This verse has been called the gospel in a nutshell. God loved us so much. He created us. And even after we sinned and walked away from him, he sent prophet after prophet, teaching after teaching, and finally he poured himself into human flesh to walk among us in order to bring us back into fellowship with him, to save us. Oh, the gospel message is so well fulfilled in Jesus. You see, the gospel story is a rescue story, and Jesus is that rescue. The gospel story is a promise, and Jesus is the fulfillment of all promises. And the gospel story is all about Jesus Christ and the grace and truth 
It is made available to all. Jesus is the truth. And if we will believe in him, he will pour his grace upon us, unmerited favor and love. You and I don't deserve heaven. We don't deserve salvation. We deserve death and hell. But because God loved us so much, he sent Jesus to bring grace, mercy, truth, if we will receive him. Verse 16 focuses, Indeed, we have all received grace upon grace from his fullness. From Christ, grace upon grace. That, that phrase, when you have it in that context, it means grace, more grace, more grace, more grace, just grace unbounded. The marvelous, unbounded, amazing grace that we have. Let's sing this old hymn together. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I Verse 2 is we deal with grace overcoming fear. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How this last final verse of victory of grace.
what a truth we find in here. 246 years ago, this month, John Newton sang this song at the end of his sermon, just like we did today. 1773, I believe. He was a man in his early life who was a Navy. He was in the Navy, very well decorated. Afterwards, he became a captain of a sea ship. And unfortunately, it was the time of slave trading. And he was tra transporting slaves back and forth from Africa to England and other places. Thankfully, he was gloriously and completely saved. He gave up that, went back to theology school and became a pastor in, in England, in Olney. And he loved music. And from, he left a lot of his sermon notes and a lot of things. And it appears that he used hymns and songs in his sermons very often. And this one song they sang in January of that year. I think in some ways it's based off of, number one, his experiences with sin. He was a wretch. He realized that. He was lost. But finally he saw it. His eyes was open. The fear that had gripped him over the years of not knowing about eternal life was settled. The dangers and toils and snares of life that we struggle with, all there. But he came to the understanding that God is our hope. And through Jesus we can overcome. So this hymn is in some ways autobiographical of his life. But it's also based off of the life of someone you may not remember. The name of William Cooper. William Cooper is a hymn writer. Uh, nothing but the blood. There is a fountain filled with blood. You've heard that hymn? He wrote that one. He and John uh, Newton worked together. And they developed about 100 to 200 hymns. Called, and put in a book called the Oldie Hymns. And nearly every message at the end, they would sing one of those hymns. Well, this January, this song was sung. I think as a reminder of what John Newton went through, but William Cooper, who was good friends with John, had a problem. He suffered from tremendous depression. Crippling depression. And he, it, so much so that he began to doubt and he began to think of how wretched he is and condemned he is and he didn't think he could be saved. Of course, he was saved, but his guilt and his shame and his lack of understanding. But I can imagine William Cooper sitting out there in the congregation as the <coughs> musicians begin to play and as they begin to sing this. It's like a wave just washing over him, taking away that fear, that worry, that guilt, and realize, you know, I was lost, but I'm found. Blind, but now I see. And God is my shield and portion. That hymn is such a beautiful way to end. Now, verse 5 was actually not written by John Newton. It was added about 40 years later by an anonymous source. But it really summarizes all the thing is, is that because of God's grace, what Jesus did for us, we can have victory over sorrows, problems, any temptation. 
and our sin debt can be taken care of. Our name can be written in the book of life and we can be assured that on the day that our heart stops and our last breath is taken, we will be ushered into an eternal life in heaven with Jesus welcoming us home. Amen. What a beautiful, wondrous gift that is. That's the truth about grace. This is Pastor Moke again. Thanks for taking the time to listen to this sermon. Maybe something you've heard in the message or read in the notes has challenged your thinking about your faith. If so, our staff is here to help in whatever way we can. Or if you prefer, check out the Faith Life tab located on our homepage at www.fbcbroussard.com. There you can find answers about salvation, spiritual growth, and getting plugged into a local church. And don't forget to check out the other sermons in this series as well. May God bless you.